SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Right now we are going to uh, talk about uh, the air quality in South Africa and what we need to know around this. Remember that you can interact with us, A-Team, as a by dialing in on 011-714-2006, SMSs go to 41391 and they are charged at 150. WhatsApps are to 0614-104-107. I'd like to welcome Dr. Rebecca Garland, who's the Principal Researcher in Climate and Air Quality Modeling Research Group, Council for Scientific and Industrial Research. Dr. Garland, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good evening. Dr. Garland, uh, you and some of your colleagues went into some thorough research around uh, the quality of air in South Africa. And obviously, Mm. um, air pollution is one of those things that we are always conscious about. Perhaps can you take us through uh, the research? What were your findings? Yeah, so our group does quite a bit of different research on um, air quality. And for some of that, we use the data that's collected at the monitoring stations across the country. This is monitoring data that can be um, found on SACWIS, which is an online data portal. And with that data, accessing that data um, and trying to understand the role, the rather the state of air quality, it got us thinking about the the need for open air quality data, because across a lot of Africa, other countries across Africa, there isn't such data. And so we wrote a piece in the conversation recently together with a gentleman from the HSRC who also does work in open data on the real importance and the key building block that open data, open and accessible data are to air quality um, and improving air quality across all of Africa. In your research, um, were you able to look at province by province within South Africa in terms of the air quality? So, yeah, when we've looked at the air quality before, you know, we can, with the monitoring, you can only look where the monitors are. Um, And a lot of the monitors are placed in specific communities because they're polluted. So a lot of them are in urban areas or are in settlements that might use coal or wood to burn for cooking and for heating. Um, They're also in industrial areas. So a lot of them, a lot of the stations are actually in the different air quality priority areas, which all three of which sit on two of which are in the High Phelps and one of which is in the Waterberg and then in the urban areas. So it's actually not very possible to cover all of the provinces equally because in Hautang and in Mpumalanga, um, I would say, I mean, I haven't done the exact calculation, but I would imagine we have a lot more than in the other provinces. And obviously this would be due to overpopulation and uh, the industrial areas in these particular provinces. Yeah, and, and that's one of the hard things about air pollution um, and particularly in the high felt is that we have a mix, you know, we have large urban areas. And so we have everything that comes with that, <coughs> excuse me. So from traffic and um, um, burning and aspects like that. But then we also have these large industrial areas that contribute. And plus we have a lot of, you know, kind of natural emissions such as dust, right? Especially in the winter, we live in a semi-arid region, at least up in here where we don't get our rainfalls in the winter. Um, we have our biomass burning episodes. 
as well. Um, we also the the trees and such also um, contribute um, what's called volatile organic compounds, and they also can react to form um, pollution. So we have this very complex mix of pollution sources that leads to poor air quality and then also lead to make it challenging to know the best way to improve air quality. You know, Dr. Garland, when we are looking at uh, air pollution and mm. the quality of air, one of the things that we are aware of is that um, when there's a high concentration of air pollution in any community, there's also a higher uh, premature mortality rate, which mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. Is, is due to this particular air pollution. And we mm. know that one of the contributors that we can literally point to are sometimes the, the, the factories and industrial mm-hmm. areas. People in communities where the industrial areas are emitting so much uh, toxic um, uh, gases into the atmosphere and they start falling sick or deaths are as a mm-hmm. result of some illnesses. Um, could those people in those communities then go to uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the courts of law to sue these particular industrial companies? Mm. So I'm, I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> just a scientist. Um, so I don't think I can answer fully your question. Um, one part is that, of course, it's always hard to say which which source necessarily is contributing to the pollution. That just that does take work and there is work ongoing to try to say, you know, how much of, for example, particulate matter, which are these really small particles, less than like a tenth of a width of a hair, you know, really small particles that have been associated with premature mortality. Um I and so I think when we start to get a better understanding of what is causing how much in each of these communities, you know, that's one piece of evidence that communities can use to understand better how to decrease their exposure to pollution. That said, and again, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a lawyer by any stretch of imagination. I do know that there are some court cases in other countries. Um, I don't know if it's against the industry necessarily, um, but I know in the UK there were some. Um, there was a court case about this that I thought it was against the government, but. You know, as we know more information and if things aren't improving in the air quality, um, that, yeah, then, then, you know, understanding what the main sources are is important. We are Again, told- without going to law, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, we are aware that you are not a lawyer, but at least uh, since you work within the industry, you've given us uh, some good insight. A-team, as we are talking to Dr. Rebecca Garland, who's the Principal Researcher in Climate and Air Quality Modeling Research Group, Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, and we are looking at South Africa's air quality. And uh, there's an information system uh, data that uh, is, is available, and we want to know more mm. about this. A-team, as you can uh, call us on one 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 seven one four two zero zero six. Perhaps you are concerned about the quality of air where you live. Perhaps you you have developed some sort of you know asthma or some sort of chronic disease, and it's due to pollution. Please let us know. And I'm, I'm aware that in certain areas people have higher uh, sinus issues uh, because mm-hmm. of the pollution in that area. Call us in, A-teamers, or even send us a WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. Dr. Garland, in in terms of um, now you know tackling the problem of poor mm-hmm. air quality, what is it? that we should be doing because we are aware that it affects our health but what should be done to 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 you know track and find out what is causing this yeah. poor air quality and what should be done in these communities 
Yeah, so I think a lot of things need to happen, and a lot of things actually need to happen quite quickly. We do know that there, we do have air quality legislation. We've had air quality legislation for a while, and our air quality is not necessarily improving. We don't see large improvements where we monitor. But again, as I mentioned, we do monitor in some of the more polluted places. Um, as I mentioned, you know, just data and understanding the data is very important and having continuous data so that we as scientists can look and look at these trends. We use For that, we use regulatory, very fancy, expensive instruments for that. But there are becoming more and more low-cost sensors available to um, measure pollution. These aren't as accurate but if you can compare them to a really good, you know, if you can compare them to a monitor that is more expensive and then distribute them around, they can start to give an idea of how pollution varies across the community. And that helps us to pinpoint what are the major sources of it. Is it local, you know, or if everybody in the whole community has the same level, then it's probably a more large-scale regional source. And then also, I mean, I think legislation has to... Um, focus across all of the sectors. We do have to decrease um, industrial and power plant emissions, right? Moving away from fossil fuels. Fossil fuels emit air pollutants and greenhouse gas emissions. So decreasing fossil fuels, really, you can help both climate and air quality. And that goes for the transportation sector as well. Um, and then also the community-based, helping to ensure that we have good service delivery, but also help with making certain that waste is removed. If waste isn't removed, eventually it very well might get burned. And that, in particular, you know, is right in a community, right where people are living, emitting lots of very toxic substances. But that can be solved with service delivery. So this is also part of the complexity. There's a lot of actors that have to work together across sectors, to um, really start to decrease pollution, I think, simultaneously across all of the sectors. I think it's quite urgent that we, we don't go one by one. Now, in, in, I've got a question here from our A-team mm. via WhatsApp who says, we are coming from hard lockdown where everything was closed. I want to know, yeah. how did the lockdown help with the quality of air in our country? How can we keep what the lockdown did to our air quality? So that's a great question. We are in the middle of a research project to try to fully understand that. Um, our lockdown happened, our level five in particular, it seems that's where we saw some changes. But our lockdown level five happened at a time, it happened in our in our autumn, right? We were transitioning, particularly in the high felt from our, um, from our summer into our winter, and the rains were still going. And so there was a lot of things we wanted to figure out to say, okay, this was attributable to lockdown, or was it just attributable because we had more rain? You know, something like that. But our preliminary results do show that at least we started to decrease NO2. So NO2 is one of the pollutants that we do regulate because it is, um, does have negative impacts on human health. The other pollutants, we didn't see as many decreases because what we really saw the activity decrease was in, in industry, in the power sector, and in transport. And those really, NO2 is a byproduct of pollutant from fossil fuel combustion. So it wasn't surprising that that's where we saw it. Um, and so we did see some, some decreases, not across all of the pollutants, but you know, I think it does, I really do hope that it's the first time in the real world we could see a change in emissions and could actually see the impact, right? We didn't have to use our model to simulate it. We saw it. And so we can better quantify that linkage. And I do really hope that can be used in the future 
to improve our quality management because now we have at least one point where we know we did this and this happened. I've got another question here from uh, Vuyo in Bloemfontein. Vuyo says, Patricia, can you please ask whether waste material from flowing open sewers can be regarded as air pollution? <laughs> With the stink? Yes, I think it could be. But let me allow <laughs> Dr. Garland to please uh, contribute. Yeah, that's also a really interesting question. And that, you know, from open sewers and such, usually because you know, the smell and the such is very local, it's not always necessarily considered air pollution. However, there has been research, um, I had a visiting student from the U.S., that it actually does get transported farther than we think, and particularly the, and this isn't very nice to think about, but, you know, the viruses, I think, and all of that that's also within it, that that is, it's not a source that would impact a whole province, say, but it could have local impacts for certain. How can we create cleaner cities in South Africa, uh, Dr. Garland? Yeah, from an air quality perspective, you know, it really is decreasing the activity. And within cities, you really start to think of decreasing the fossil fuel usage. And so a lot of things that bring smart climate cities also help to improve air quality. So, and when we talk about decreases in transportation, um, as I said, you know, during lockdown, I think we all saw there was large decreases in transport. And we did see decreases in ambient air quality, but it's not as if things went to complete zero. We need really transformations of the transportation sector, um, decreases of fossil fuel, moving on to renewable energy sources, increased energy efficiency, very good um, you know, decreased waste generation and good service delivery um, to just um, every of the sectors that can contribute to air pollution to ensure that um, they are decreased. And then also the industrial areas to bring, to make uncertain that they're under compliance. And if they're in industrial areas, you know, recognizing that they're in a, we call it like an airshed, kind of like a watershed, but an airshed that has a lot of other pollution sources that their emissions can react with to decrease air quality. So the, I think there's it, a lot we can do. Sorry, there's a yeah. lot we can do, and I think uh, <laughs> regulations need to also be enforced, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. bylaws need to be enforced to ensure that um, we are keeping our air clean. How important is uh, the education system uh, when it comes to educating young people around conserving our air? Yeah, well, as a scientist, of course, I think it's very important, Um, but I do, and because in part, air quality is not something that you see, and so it sometimes does get forgotten about. You only see it when it gets really bad, Um, but this isn't an overnight solution. We all need, you know, scientists and researchers and policymakers to help to make this change and new ways to improve air quality into the future, how will South Africa develop its low fossil fuel city of the future, its climate-friendly city? You know, we're not the same as just any city elsewhere. And so we really need innovative thinking. And I was thinking when you were talking about um, local sources, um, one that they found in Chile, which I thought was very rel- um, relatable to South Africa, that some of their worst air pollution in their cities was when their soccer team won because everybody had a bribe. And they would see these large spikes in pollution at that point. And I must admit, when he presented that, I was sitting next to a South African. I was like, oh, man, what if we start to say we can't bry anymore? <laughs> um, and I, that's not in the bylaws yet. I don't think anybody mm. needs to worry. But <laughs> Thank goodness. 
you know, and it's not it's not the major source of pollution, but it was interesting that, that that's how far the regulations in another city went, um, trying to really decrease the pollution. Thank you so very much, uh, Dr. Uh, Garland, for giving us this insight. And I really do hope that uh, this uh, data that you're collecting around our atmosphere will help um, impact positively on what Mm -hmm. we do to our atmosphere. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. and Have a good evening. Have a good evening. It's time for us to go to the beautiful Zolega Kodashe with the final news bulletin for the evening. Hi, Zolega.